1: Friday edition of the show. Welcome into the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That's BK. Brandon Kylie. He'll be with you after this show as well. Marty Jenkins helping us out. And Ryan Fagan is going to be our guest coming up from the sporting news. But it is... A Cubs Cardinal weekend from Wrigley, Illinois, has opened up at 100%. That means Wrigley is open at 100%. And uh, good morning, BK. I can't wait to see what the atmosphere is like at uh, Wrigley today.
2: I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait for you to be able to be there for us, to be able to really <laughs> describe the scene. That's that's when I know things are truly back to 100% is when you, and whether it's BT or Jimmy, whoever it is that's with you, I, I can't wait to see Bally Sports be able to actually go to these away parks as well.
1: That's when it's going to feel real. Absolutely. Uh, It's a big difference when you're there and and seeing the game, the atmosphere, all those things. And we'll have the game for uh, fans on Valley Sports at, uh, let's see, 1230 will be the pregame show and I'll be uh, teamed up with our teammate BT, who's always fun. Doesn't matter if you're in a studio at a booth or you're in the one-on-one studios here. Fun. BT's fun. It's great. And it's Cubs cards, man. I'm curious, before we get
2: into kind of previewing this series specifically, do you have a favorite Cubs cards memory? I've never asked you this, I don't
1: think. I've got a few. Um, I I always think it's interesting when you talk about the Albert Pujols three home run day at Wrigley, and I guess you're specifically asking about at Wrigley, right? Sure. Yeah, let's stay with that. So so Taguchi, when 100 miles an hour was, ooh, ah, like you can't believe it. So Albert Pujols hits three home runs that day, and they're going back and forth, and that in itself was incredible. But late in the game, do you remember Kyle Farnsworth? Mm -hmm. He was built like, you know, he should have been a heavyweight fighter. He comes in, and he's throwing triple digits. And so so Toguchi comes in and hits an absolute bomb down the left field line, and it was, like, just shocking because it was a back-and-forth game. This was in the heated rivalry of not only... The Cubs and the Cardinals, but this was Dusty Baker and Tony La Russa and the Cardinals were hated, and they were pretty good. And so Teguchi hits one out, the most unlikely of guys in a three-home run day. That and and it's one of my favorite moments there at the ballpark. Johnny Peralta in the final pitch hit one that uh, they were down to their final strike in a key game. I remember though, I, I think the the game for most fans in recent memory and in recent series that has to come to mind is the the back to backs. Uh, first of all, is a four game sweep. And the back-to-back home runs hit by DeYoung and Molina against Craig Kimbrell. I mean, that was as good as it gets. Yep. And then the next day, they're they're losing. And then Goldschmidt hits a double down the line. And they win that game in a game that uh, was started by Hugh Darvish when he was awesome. And, uh, and they win that game. So I think that four-game series, because that ultimately put the Cubs out of it and buried them. And then the back-to-back home runs, which you just didn't think it was going to happen off of Kimbrel. It was awesome.
2: We did yesterday on BK and Ferrario our list of the five teams that we think are the most hated here in St. Louis. So pro sports teams that are the most hated. Hold on, hold on. So from
1: a, like a St. Louis point yeah, of view? Yeah, from a St. Okay. Louis point of view. Like you're a St. The, Louis fan and you hate that team. Correct. Got Got yeah, it. who are okay. the five teams that would be who on that list? Okay. And so I, I said I think
2: that there's only a few that are perennially on that list. I think it's the Blackhawks and the Cubs. Those just two put put are down. always on there. And you. Yeah. Never have to change it. I think you can make a case now that the Rams or any team Stan Kroenke owns, they're just go ahead and throw them into this mix as well. And then from there, I think it's just it changes, right? You could say right now the Reds, and I would totally understand that argument. In the past, maybe you would have said the Dodgers or the Giants, and I would have understood that as well. I think the other ones are uh, cyclical. But the the two that are always there, and it's what makes the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry so special, is the Cubs and the Blackhawks. And that is what I think kind of makes this rivalry unique compared to so many others around sports, really, is that it's become more about competitive rivalries than historical rivalries in pro sports nowadays. And this is one of those historical rivalries that has stood the test of time.
1: Yeah. And that's special. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think your list is, is spot on. I would put any team that Cronky owns— Um, Rams being probably number one, obviously, on the list. And then you're totally right about the Hawks and and the Cubs. I would say this about the the rivalry. i see if you agree with this. I think the the rivalry with the Blues and the Hawks is um, not as friendly.
2: Yes. I I, think that's fair. I think
1: that's the way to put it. I think that's hockey culture, too. I think there's something to that, right? Right. Different fan base. There's fighting allowed in that sport. Sometimes (laughs) there's fighting in the stands. You know what I mean? That that made it fun. Um, And the the Cub rivalry, you know, I get people all the time, BK, on Twitter that, that are, you know, let's say halfway between St. Louis and Chicago. And they'll say, I'm married to a Cub fan and I'm a Cardinal fan. Or we have raised, we have multiple kids and two of our kids are Cub fans and two of them are Cardinal fans. And it's friendly. And people get along. Like you... And knock on wood, I I don't ever remember seeing a Cub Cardinal fight. And I'm sure it's happened in the stands and people get, you know, get the beers rolling and and things happen. I understand that. But generally speaking, like when you think of the Dodgers and the Giants in baseball, those fan bases hate each other. You, You think of Yankees, Red Sox, they hate each other. Cubs-Cardinals, it's kind of like, eh, we're arm-in-arm, arm, we're singing the seventh-inning stretch, and you want a beer, you know, you want a beer, yeah, let's have a couple beers together. It, it's just a friendly r- rivalry, in my opinion. It's more sports hate than real hate, right? Like, the,
2: yeah. the real hatred comes in with those other ones that you're talking about, I
1: especially
2: Yankees versus Red Sox. That yes. one feels more, there's vitriol between the two fan bases. Yes. This is, hey, I hate when my team plays your team. Yeah. And there's nothing more to it. It's not like if you were the Cardinals fan and I was a Cubs fan, for example— it's not that we hate one another because you're a Cardinals fan right. and I'm a Cubs fan. We just don't like watching our teams go up against each other. But afterwards, we're going to go over to whether it's here in uh, in St. Louis, going to the Oyster Bar, going out to Wrigleyville afterwards. We're going to grab a couple of beers together. I'll, I'll grab your first round. You grab my second round, right. that sort of
1: thing. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a really good hockey rivalry for, I would say, 10, 15 years. Was, it was the Blues and the Red Wings especially when the Red Wings got good. Um, those were some great games. Uh, you know, the Blues, we always talk about this maybe the best team they had here was the one that that never won the Stanley Cup and there's this hall of famers up and down their roster and then you had the Red Wings with hall of famers up and I mean they were some great great series, great um regular season matchups and their fan base always traveled well to St. Louis. Unfortunately, you'd hear a lot of Red Wing fans at Enterprise Center. But I, I think, like, recently that's been a good one. I really do. It was a great one, and then once the division yeah, changed, that's, that's how everything kind right. of crumbles. And that's that's the unfortunate thing
2: about this is I think there has to be, like, the Cubs and the Cardinals could never be taken out of the division from one another. You you have to keep that together. Oh, for sure. And it's the same thing for Yankees and, and Red Sox. And those are the types of things that there has to be somebody in charge that looks out for them and says, hey, this is something that's special that needs to continue. Why isn't
1: Kansas City in this division? That's a fair question. So, I, I, I've, you know, I've heard that before Milwaukee came in the Central Division that the idea was that they wanted Kansas City in there. And I don't know if this is true, but they refuted the invitation because they felt that they drew so well when the Yankees would come to kansas city and you're going to have interleague play with the cardinals and you're going to sell those out because cardinal fans will go there or the royals get really good and they're selling out i um, also wonder american league national league if there was something there as well i i, I get it but nowadays it wouldn't matter like starting next year yeah I, I i mean like i'm talking about when they put milwaukee into in the late 90s in the central division the one that made sense to me geographically more so than milwaukee was kansas city so you would have the natural rivalry rivalry inside the state. You're not far from Kansas City, or from Chicago. It just, to me, it made more sense at that time. I understand why you do Milwaukee, but that made more sense to me. Makes a ton of sense, and Kansas City has a little brother complex with St. Louis,
2: where it is like they kind of look up to St. Louis. They view this as a massive rivalry. I can promise you that. St. Louis does not view it the same way in return, Uh, but I
1: wonder if, as you moved forward, that would change a little bit. Do you think... And I was thinking about this when listening to you. Do you think the rivalry of the Cubs and the Cardinals, which is still, to me, the best in the National League, even more so than the Giants and the Dodgers, and people can argue about it. I still think it's the best in baseball, but, um, but I'm biased because I'm there all the time and I see it. But after the Cubs won... Did it take a little bit of the edge off of the rivalry because they were the the little stepchild that that couldn't win? You know, they yep. they never won and they got really close so many times, and especially recently, the teams that they had under Dusty Baker, even the teams under Lou Pinella, were very good that were going into postseason play, but never got over the hump. But when you win. It's a different feel about your franchise. I think it totally changed things. And I think it started in 2015. That series
2: between the Cardinals sure. and the Cubs when the Cubs ended up going to the World Series and losing. I remember talking to David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. And he he will continue to say it to this day. His favorite memory as a Cubs fan is not winning the World Series. It is beating the Cardinals in the playoffs in 2015. That was more meaningful for him than getting to and winning the World Series. And I think that's probably a prevalent thought. Now, winning the World Series obviously like 1B if you're going to put him up there. But... That was such a massive landscape change for the Cubs to be able to say, "Okay, we're no longer little brother. We can go up against these guys head to head and we can take them down, not in the
1: regular season, but in the playoffs. And that was huge for them. And Kyle Schorber still has a ball that's (laughs) flying. I mean, not only do you beat the Cardinals, but you got to you wind up getting a, a home run ball that lands on top of the scoreboard. Couldn't get much better if you're a Cub fan. And And it was supposed
2: to be the start of a dynasty. Right. That's the other thing is it wasn't just a one series, one game thing. That was supposed to be, hey, 2015 through right now, 2021, we've got a five, six year window where we could win World Series plural. Absolutely. Not just that one. They thought they were going to get to and win multiple and obviously that has not quite come to fruition the way they expected.
1: It was interesting that year. Cardinals got off to a good start. Cardinals won that division that year. Mm-hmm. And you could just see it, though, unfolding in front of you. As you watch the season, especially the second half, The it started really about a month and a half before the All-Star break. Because I, I remember saying to my partners at that time, I said, this is a really good team. I said, I don't know if it's going to happen this year. But you can see it. like The the seeds have been planted, and now it's growing. and, And when it happens, you better watch out. It'll be a storm that you see. And you could see throughout the year, and then by the end of the year, hit a crescendo. That team was really good, which leads me to now. How many fans in Chicago wake up this morning and say, Boy, I wish we had you Darvish because this is a good team, and they're really good at home. They're ten or eleven games above five hundred as the Cardinals. This is going to be a very, very tough series because of the things we mentioned yesterday. Now you've got Oviedo going today, hasn't won a game. You got Gantt tomorrow. You got Martinez on Sunday night baseball, who's been terrible in his last two starts, and you're getting a Cubs team that's starting to feel it. And they're playing good baseball, it's a good lineup. And they've got Kyle Hendricks going today, who just destroys the Cardinals, especially at home. He Cy Young. Um, this is a very, very tough series for the Cardinals. And when you look at important games, I thought the other night, maybe the most important game of the year, just to get off the losing skid. And when you look at the most important series so far this year, it starts today. This is a big one.
2: I think that the Cubs are in a very important moment in their season because over the next three or four weeks, they're going to find out exactly where they stand within the NL Central. And if they continue to be at or near the top of this division, there's no way Jed Hoyer can rationalize to his fan base that we're going to sell off parts. You
1: can't do it. Here's the one thing, too. A lot of their sellable parts of the most... I would say the ones that you would look at on paper and say, boy, I'd love to have Chris Bryant. I'd love to have Javi Baez. I'd love to have Contreras. Boy, we need a first baseman. Yankees need a first first baseman. We'd love to have Rizzo. when you get closer to the deadline, the position players are, are not – you're not going to get back the value that you would have with under a year and a half of control or a year of control. It doesn't happen. Now, that happens – also with others that I'm talking about, but, you know, really with position players, their value on the trade market goes down. So if I'm the front office of the Cubs, I'm saying, do I really sell these guys off if we have a chance to win? Because my return is not – it's just the juice isn't going to be what I think it should be for the value of what we know these players are. And so when you're going down towards a trade deadline – I don't know what you'd get for Rizzo, Bias, Bryant, Contreras, these guys that are really good players. Jock Peterson, but if you're saying Craig Kimbrell, now we're talking. If you're t- if you're saying, hey, we th- we think we found something with Jake Arrieta and want to bring him in, you you could get value on that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. position players, so th- to the big picture, the the position players aren't going to give you the haul that you once would have gotten. So are you just better off just saying, look? We're going to keep these guys, and we'll keep who we can keep, and we're going to lose some guys along the way. But we're going to at least justify it to our fan base to keep this team intact. I think the only way they can justify it is if they fall below 500. And right
2: now they're eight games above 500, mm-hmm. and it's going to be tough for them to fall back that far. You've got another six weeks or so now before the trade deadline. It's possible. And it would go a long way for the Cardinals to get a sweep this weekend or to win two out of three to be able to help them kind of nudge them in that direction. Because I think if you had it, all things created equally, I think Jed Hoyer would like to trade these pieces off. I, I think he would like to be able to get prospects in return to start replenishing the farm system Yeah, to long-term move look
1: at your health of your, your franchise for sure.
2: We know what they have done in the past to be able to build this thing. Part of Jed Hoyer's history. I think that's the way he would prefer to go. He knows long-term, as you said, that's the best way to do it. But for the here and now, it's going to be really hard to justify that unless things go very far south. And so the Cardinals, I, I think they need to try to nudge them in that direction this weekend.
1: It starts with Oviedo, and this is going to be a really tough matchup for the Cardinals to be able to win. It is. And uh, again, as I mentioned, you got uh, Kyle Hendricks going today. 21 starts in his career against St. Louis. He is 10-3. and 2.81 ERA, the Cubs have won 15 of the 21 starts he has made. My God. He's made 12 starts against the Cardinals at Wrigley, where he has just been sensational against St. Louis. 5-2, and two, 2.86 ERA, and the Cubs have won 8 of the 12 starts that he's made. He's efficient as it gets. He limits the hits, limits the walks. His whip is, is exactly what you want. Um, this is going to be tough. Now, I'll be fascinated to see the lineup today. We uh, we should mention, and I know the morning show mentioned this: the return of Paul DeYoung to the uh, from the IL to the Cardinals roster, and John Nagowski has been sent to Memphis, so he's back down. Well, that guy's racking up some miles right now, <laughs> going back and forth. But um, I, I think if DeYoung is ready to go, you put him in there. I, I would put Sosa, or I would look at you know Carpenter at second base, and Tommy Edmonds got to play right field, and and that's the way I would look at it. That means that. It, Here's the thing, though. I love Carpenter coming off my bench. And if Oviedo is going to have success, he's got to have the best defensive positioning for me, which is Sosa DeYoung out there. Now, Carpenter um, starting to get a little life. First 49 games, I was doing some numbers. 12 for 82, last six, six for 16, three doubles, six RBI. We've always said we're trying to get the most out of him in what could be his final year here in St. Louis, more than likely. So do do you ride the hot hand? And he loves playing at Wrigley. It's something to think about. I don't know. I think he plays a game in this series,
2: and you can determine which one that is, but I I would have him out there for one game in this series. I think I'd go Sosa tonight. I would put Sosa at second, DeYoung at short, and I would kick, as you
1: said, Tommy Edmund out there to right field. And by the way, remember the Sosa series against the Cubs? Hit close to 700 in those three games, so they didn't quite figure him out. He was hot. Maybe that plays into your decision-making, too. And
2: defensively, he's just significantly better. Absolutely. He's just a
1: massive upgrade over
2: what you're getting from Matt Carpenter right now. I would also say for Paul DeYoung, Dan, I think he should bat seventh for you in this series. I'm I'm with you. I think you got to drop him. I would go Tyler O'Neal fifth. I would put Yachty sixth. Then I'll have Paul DeYoung hitting seventh in this series. It takes all of the pressure off of him. Remember back to the beginning of the season, he was your cleanup hitter. Right. This was a guy that was hitting right up near the top of the order, and Things just never clicked. Even before the injury, it never really seemed to click for him this season. Maybe if you put him lower down in the order, things click a little bit for him. He doesn't have that same amount of pressure. And hopefully that gets him
1: going a little bit because they need him. Yeah, it's kind of a double... Uh, to me, I, two reasons I do it. Number one, let's e- we, can, we can justify in the conversation with him, if you're Mike Shield, look, we're easing you back into this. That's why you're going to drop down in the lineup. Also, there's the reality... There's others that are performing better. Tyler O'Neill is on fire. Yeah, so it just makes some sense. Uh, Ryan Fagan is coming up. He is with the Sporting News, their senior baseball writer. Always love catching up with Ryan Fagan. And we'll do some MLB news and notes coming up later in the show. This is 101 ESPN. Danny Mac Show on a Friday. It's a Cubs-Cardinals weekend at Wrigley Field. And I'm Dan McLaughlin, by the way, and that is Brandon Kylie. I always love visiting with Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News, their senior MLB writer who is uh, based here in St. Louis but does an incredible job of unique stories in Major League Baseball and uh, in covering the sport and loving the sport. Hey, Ryan, great to uh, hear your voice on this Friday, and thanks for uh, spending some time with us. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's always a good time to chat with you guys. Uh,
1: I loved the piece you had in the sporting news the other night, and BK and I talked about it yesterday. One of the most important at-bats of the season with the season, at least to this point, really going the wrong way for the Cardinals, and it was Yadier Molina who's banged up. Probably if you're going in the right direction and you're the Cardinals and you're winning games, he doesn't play the other night. But understanding the importance of making sure they had to get a win. Just one win at home, split the series. He comes up and is fighting off pitches. He is taking tough pitches, took a tough 10th pitch for a bases loaded walk. And you could feel the pressure come off of everybody in that dugout, in the fan base. Hell, the broadcasters, Ryan Fang, I don't care who you are. The the pressure was off. It was a great piece that you have, and I advise everybody to go to the sporting news. But it does show the importance of guys like Wayno, Yachty, Carp. It was kind of a turn back the clock night at Bush Stadium.
0: Yeah, it very much was. You know, and I wrote and, and you know, as you saw in the, in the the first line, the moment felt absurdly important. And I couldn't get away from the word absurd because I you sat there and you're watching the game, you're watching this event happen, you're watching you know, there was the one pitch that was a, basically a center cut fastball that the Molina just fouled back. And you could see him like, ah, I can't believe I missed that. You know, and as that bat went along and you could just feel this atmosphere in the stadium. And I had to sit there and go, it's early June, right? The first inning of an early June game. Why does this feel like it, it's this seminal moment, this sink or swim moment? And, you know, then he draws the walk and pumps his fist. And then, you know, Matt Carpenter comes up and does what he's done his entire career in bases-loaded situations. You know, his numbers there are just ridiculous. But, yeah, and then from from that point, you know, Wainwright allowing only one batter the rest of his time out there, and that was a a hit-by-pitch, you know. It really was, you know, you can't look back at a season and say this is what mattered most until the season is done. But as you're in it, that felt like uh, this moment matters, this game is important, because like you said, things have been going really, really poorly in a lot of different ways. And it, it really felt like they needed some sort of respite from the pressure. And Molina's a bat, I think, really, really helped do that.
2: They also got a huge start that night, as you mentioned, out of Adam Wainwright. Yeah. And they needed that so badly, Ryan, because this this rotation is battered and bruised right now. How significant in your mind was that start that they got out of Adam Wainwright, getting seven innings out of him?
0: It was huge, you know, and, and it looked like that that first inning didn't go so well. You know, the Cleveland batters were lining shots all over the ballpark, you know, and not like velocities of 110 or anything, but, you know, line drives, they were – they were finding spots and they were running the bases, and you just kind of felt here it goes again. Yeah, and then he really, you know, we say he settled down because that's what we say because we're not out there. You know, he talked about it in this postgame press conference he felt like he was throwing good pitches in that first inning. Cleveland was just doing a good job of hitting him. You know, he really, you know, he's had such a calming effect. And I think if you're on the outside and you're looking at just like his numbers, you know, his ERA isn't under two you know he's had a couple of outings that have inflated it a little bit but I think when you look at the impact that he's had on that staff because going seven innings after that first inning was huge and I feel like he's done that several times You know, I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago on how you know Wainwright has kind of become this unicorn in the game and that he actually can complete games you know we don't see that a whole lot anymore I mean here's a guy you know you know pushing 40 and I say that Having gone past that myself, so it's not a derogatory thing. (laughs) But you know, he's he's out there doing these old school things, and and even though it's old school to complete games and do this, it's still important. That's the thing. The importance of innings hasn't gone away, you know. And he's really done that, and especially as you said, because of the state of the Cardinals' rotation right now, it it really is huge. It really was a big thing.
1: We were talking in the first segment that this. And I don't know if it's overstating it. It's the biggest series of the year, I think, really. And BK made some great points of why it's so important for Chicago and for the Cardinals. It's pretty simple. I mean, you, you're you chasing yeah. these guys, and, and you're just trying to get back on the winning track. So um, is it the most important series, in in your opinion, to date? And there's going to be more important ones as we go along. But here we are in early June right. for the for both the Cubs and the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, I think it absolutely could be. You know, I mean, I think you, you can see how quickly things can turn around in the standings just by looking at the series, you know, the Cardinals just had at home. Cincinnati came in and won all those games, and all of a sudden, you know, it gets them back in and knocks the Cardinals down. And, you know, when you're playing head-to-head against these, these teams that you're competing with directly, I mean, it, it matters. You know, if you can – it's basically like stealing two games in the standings. You know, you don't have to rely on somebody else. You can kind of – Take care of business yourself. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. You know, obviously the Cardinals pitchers have to throw strikes. You know, they can't let guys run around and get get the first base for free, which they you know haven't always done a good job of this year. But yeah, I mean, boy, you're the being kind. They, <laughs>
1: you are being kind. <laughs> well, they <haven't> I,
0: was, <laughs> I was trying to be nice there, but yeah, they, they've been awful. They, they, yeah. they really have. They just they they put guys on first base. I mean, it's it's almost like they saw MLB's extra innings rule. And said, "You know what? We like that. We're going to give guys free free passes to first base instead of second base." Practice
2: makes
1: perfect, right, Ryan? Yeah, <laughs> it's been unbelievable, man. Um, which is a disturbing trend for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I, I, I got to ask you though. Hey, if you go out and get the uh, the sticky stuff, maybe that no, I, I wouldn't want to have that happen. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And we're, we're going to talk about that in our next segment. But I am curious, and I'm sure we'll talk more Cubs Cardinals here in just a moment. But you were talking about pitching, so I am curious of what you have. Uh, you know, you talk to a lot of people in the game, a lot of writers, a lot of a lot of players, a lot of uh, executives, all throughout every level of the game. And Ryan Fagan is our guest, senior MLB writer at the Sporting News. Where, where do you stand on this, and what do you think is going to happen in the next week? Because it really, we could be here next week talking about maybe some suspensions because apparently it's going to be, yeah. you know, implemented this week. So, what are your general thoughts on this?
0: Well, I mean, it, it's a complicated issue because look, let's let's start here. Basically, we have this thing, these sticky substances that have been okay, have been allowed by MLB, even though technically they're against the, the rules baseball hasn't enforced anything in a long long time you have pitchers that have done things a certain way their entire career and now all of a sudden it's going to be illegal and you're going to get suspended for it that's a that's a strange thing to put on the pitchers and that's the thing that it's going to be framed by mlb almost certainly as these pitchers cheated these pitchers are being suspended when in reality it's it's almost like NLB has changed the rules without officially changing the rules. Because that's what you do when you enforce it. It's like, you know, it, it's like driving on a highway. You know, you've been driving at the speed of a 55, you've been driving 60, 62 and nobody's pulled you over and you've done that your entire life. And now all of a sudden they're saying, well, we're going to start pulling you over at 62 and you're probably going to get a ticket or two because you, it, it's habit. It's how you've done things. So, you know, and I think it's going to be a wake-up call for a lot of people. I, and I, I've said this before, too. I think it's there are parallels with the steroid era, right? It was okay. Baseball let it go when guys were cheating, when they knew they were cheating, but they weren't breaking records, right? When records started falling, that's when baseball said, okay, we have to do something. And it's kind of the same way with this. When the cheating got too good, when we started seeing – baseball strike up rate going up. I mean, it's at 24.1% this year. One of every four batters is going back to the dugout without making contact. That's crazy. So when we start seeing historic numbers, when we start seeing, I mean, there are right now in baseball, there are, I think it's 17 pitchers who have a higher strikeout per nine ratio right now of 11.0 or higher. Nolan Ryan in his entire career had a, season strikeout ratio of 11.0 or higher twice in 27 seasons. So we're seeing these crazy, epic, historic performances. And that's when baseball's like, okay, we've got to do something. So I'm really curious to see what they do with with suspensions, like how they hand them out. Are they going to be maybe somewhat minimal 10 games for the first one and then then compound, go to 20 games, 40 games? When do you lose postseason eligibility? These are the things I'm really curious to see. Because baseball needs to be very, very specific about what the punishments are, what substances are banned, how they're going to enforce it, and you know, I'm genuinely curious to see how they do that when they roll this out, as you said, uh, supposedly, per, you know, perhaps uh, this weekend or next week.
2: I think that's the part that's difficult, and Ryan, to kind of follow up on your your highway analogy, right? I, I think that the, there's some truth to the fact that these pitchers were at one point going 62 and a 55. I feel like they're now going 90 in a 55, <laughs> and, and that's why Major League Baseball is like, okay, we, we got to crack down on this. When you're going 62, we can live with it. But now right. you're out here, you're making this look like you're on the Autobahn, and it's 270 out here in St. Louis. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of understandable, at least in my mind, that they would try to crack down on this when when you watch these baseball games especially nationally the number one story on almost every broadcast is the state of the game today and how there's too many strikeouts and the three true outcomes and all of these things and so if there is something that baseball can do without changing what the game looks like for the casual fan I kind of like that they're finally cracking down on this because it means you're not having to do these gimmicky rules where you're uh, changing the shift or uh, you can't pick off at first more than twice in an inning or whatever it may be, right? All of these things that we're seeing, this is just, hey, you can't use the sticky substances that are technically on the rule books anyways. We're going to go ahead and start cracking down on that.
0: Yeah, no, and I do agree with that. And I I do like the idea of... um, bringing contact back into the sport. You know, it's it's fun when guys are on the bases. It's fun to watch when, when things are happening. I agree. I, I do think it needs to be something that happens. I'm just, you know, baseball has kind of created the situation by letting it go for as long as they have. And let's be honest, 270 is like the Audubon <laughs> a lot of times when you're out Touche. there. You know, you're sitting there, you're sitting there at 70 miles an hour in the middle lane and people are passing me on both sides. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it it is, it is a good thing. You know, I, I think that we need to do something to bring back contact into the sport. I, I hate the idea of extending the mound, another foot, or, you know, changing that because then you're changing with the mechanics and the way guys have actually thrown the baseball, you know, you're bringing, it feels like to me, you're opening a can of worms with arm injuries and all these different things. But I think this is something that is a reasonable step to take. It's just, it feels like it's the way it's being rolled out so far is is clunky, but you know we'll we'll see what happens when it when we see the actual plan and we see the enforcement.
1: Ryan Fagan, the uh, Major League Baseball writer, senior MLB writer, The Sporting News, our guest on One Hundred One ESPN. It's June eleventh, so we're less than two months away from the trade deadline. Uh, Cardinals have three-fifths of the rotation out. They're just getting their shortstop back today. Bader is out. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on with this team. So are, are you hearing about any player movement as teams figure out where they're at in the standings and probably will stay there? So the, you, you might have some teams that are willing to deal. So what are you hearing about player movement potentially coming up, whether it's with the Cardinals or anybody else, but generally in the sport?
0: Well, you know, I think there's there's a couple of – ways that teams approach the trade deadline right you know a, a lot of teams will look at it and say what pieces do we need to help us win in october right and those moves you will almost always see much closer to the trade deadline to so the july 30, 31st date for a couple reasons one because they these teams that are world series contenders are trying to shop around for the best deal the, the best the player that best fits their their need and the teams that are trading those guys, those, those pieces that can help win a World Series, they're going to wait and try to maximize the value. And that's where a guy like Max Scherzer falls into the equation. You know, if the Nationals kind of fall out of contention and decide that they're going to try to trade Max Scherzer, you know, they're not going to do it for any sort of discount whatsoever. Right? And they're going to try to, you know, and obviously he's got the, the 10 and 5 rights, he's got the, the, the trade veto rights, so he can have a, a say where he goes but they're not going to trade him right away unless a team immediately meets his price. Then you have teams like the Cardinals, right, who have a lot of injuries, and we're saying, we just want to get to October, and we need somebody now or soon that can help us fill these gaps that we have because of what injuries have, have caused. You know, and the Cardinals went into the season with, without a lot of rotation depth, kind of really hoping and betting on guys like Michaelis, being fully healthy, right, and coming back and contributing. And, and that hasn't happened. And then when you have a guy like Jack Flaherty go down, that's obviously a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother issue. But you have teams like the Cardinals that, that need things now, and that's when I think you'll find more guys that could be, for, you know, guys that fit into the three or four spot in the rotation, right, not guys that are aces. Those are the guys you see traded in June and maybe early July. Do you think this is a team that
2: could make both of those trades in your opinion? Because we've been talking a lot about this. I mean, Whether it be the kind of poster child of that, uh, the latter pitcher that you're talking about there, the 3-4 who's pitched above that this year is Kyle Gibson. He he might be available. And then the number one, of course, is Max Scherzer. Do you think there's a chance that this team could be uh, ripe to make both of those deals this year?
0: I I think there's a shot. I think it it depends on um, how the Cardinals view themselves. You know, do they view themselves as a legitimate World Series contender? And if they do, yeah, it makes sense to go out. And, you know, if they go out and get two Mizzou guys, you know, that, that's just a nice little bonus there, right? It's yeah. uh, and, and Scherzer. So, but yeah, I, it, look, nobody's trading for Max Scherzer to win a division title, right? Let's be honest. You trade for Max Scherzer if you think you have a legitimate shot of winning the World Series. Uh, And so if the Cardinals feel that they really have that, if they feel like their rotation, their lineup is good enough, win it 100%, they can win a World Series, then yeah, I can see them doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. But a move like Gibson would probably almost certainly be the first one that happens. And then the move for a Scherzer or Scherzer type, even though there aren't a lot like Scherzer out there, um, that would happen closer to the trade deadline.
1: Ryan, what are you working on uh, at the sporting news right now as we wrap it up?
0: Well, th- this weekend I'm working on doing my first ever baseball card show. It's going to be strange sitting behind the table, so that's the big thing right now. But um, yeah, we've had a lot of stuff. You did uh, wrote a story yesterday about you know the women's college world series. It was such a fun tournament. You know, it was such a good time. These great moments, these great experiences, and then they stuck the title game at three o'clock on a Thursday. And it was just so much less than what these players and these coaches and all these people who have worked so hard their entire careers deserve to play the biggest game of the year in 102-degree temperatures in Oklahoma City, right? I mean, this should have been something that, that was slotted into prime time. And, you know, the difference between ESPN and ESPN2, look, it's 2020. It doesn't really matter. You can find either one on your streaming services. and It doesn't matter what order they're ranked in. But, you know, this is something, and I hope because ratings for the – the women's college world series have been so good this year. I'm really hoping that maybe this is the impetus or the the motivation to try to get that game into a better time slot next year.
1: Absolutely. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much as always for hopping on with us. And great insight. And again, make sure you follow Ryan Fagan at Ryan Fagan F A G A N on Twitter and head to uh, the Sporting News as well. We'll catch you up very soon. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. You got it. That's Ryan Fagan and BK. Let's uh, go through some MLB news and notes coming up, including Garrett Cole, yet again, addressing a sticky situation. That sounded like a news anchor, didn't it? I'm proud of you. You really blew right through that. It did. That was well done. It's ten seventeen, and we'll <laughs> take a look at... A sticky situation next. Weather is coming up. Anyway, add a little excitement to your sports watching experience. Bet on all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook. There is a reason that FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They've got all the odds on all the biggest sports, and they make it simple, intuitive to place your bets. It's a place to go for exciting bet types. You've been hearing me talk about it. I love betting the NBA. NBA playoffs is where it's at. I've been betting it right and left. I love it. Same game parlay, multi-sport uh, parlay insurance. I definitely need that. $5 dinger Tuesdays. It's all at FanDuel. They believe that beating the spread is hard enough, so unlike other books, FanDuel doesn't make you jump through hoops when you want to withdraw your winnings. $100 in free bets, first real money wager, risk-free up to $1,000. In order to sign up, check out FanDuel's. New sportsbook and racetrack. It's uh, formerly Fairmont Park, and while you're over there, you can bet on the horses and bet on all the action across the world. Have a lot of fun. Must be 21 and older, present in Illinois. Said credit is not withdrawable. and Expires seven days after receipt. $10 minimum deposit required to withdraw any winnings. See t- full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Always fun to catch up with Ryan Fagan. Our uh, thanks to him. Marty, great update on the ESPN update. A lot of uh, response here on the text line, the Air Comfort Service text line. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack again. Cardinal Baseball coming up on Valley Sports this afternoon, 1230, with the pregame show, and my partner will be Brad Thompson. So we were finishing up, or at least in the middle there, talking about uh, the sticky substance with baseball and the problem that they have and the foreign substances used by pitchers, and we all – hopefully you've heard or seen the Garrett Cole uh, first response to this the other day, which was awful and and awful. Yes. That's a good way to characterize it. Okay. Thank you. Um, Well, he pitched the other night, pitched okay. And then he talked about it again yesterday and and where he uh, was coming from in the previous press conference. Here's his response to that.
3: I hesitated yesterday on the specificity of the question, because I just don't think this is the
2: forum to discuss you know, those kinds of those kinds of things. Like I, I
3: I mentioned in you know, answer to Lindsay's question that there's appropriate time for players to discuss those things and I'll keep it to that forum.
1: Well, we're in a covid situation here with medium. Uh, I'm not sure where that form is. Ever, are we going to sell tickets so he can address this on a stage and have a nice dinner? No, sit no, down no, dinner? no. There will be no recording for okay. that, Stan. Um Would we normally have the writers down on the field or broadcasters talking to him prior to a game that he's not starting? Yes. But that has been somewhat eliminated. Now, we're yep. getting back down to it where the media can go down with a mask and you're kind of in a roped-off area, and if he comes over and talks to you, you know, you just you're you're so privileged to have that honor. But um, as with all these guys, but the thing is, um, this is the forum. This is COVID nineteen and how they're presenting sports. Again, I'll, I'll go back to when he first made the statement. Was he not alerted that he is going to be asked this from his own PR department? I would assume he is. It's New York. Secondly. If you're not alerted, you don't think you're going to be asked about this. Pick up a paper, pick up a magazine, go on the internet, check your Instagram, your Twitter feed. Of course, you're going to be asked about it. You were ill prepared to ask about it because you're guilty. It's that simple. The other thing is, Dan, based on his
2: response, what was this, two days after the first response, I don't think it would have mattered whether he, like, I think he was probably informed beforehand and he had a terrible answer and i think he still has a terrible that's answer that's a terrible answer to that Wait, he, what forum do you want he, there was no forum right. this is this is him saying so just address it i'm not here to talk about the past that that's that's what this is for for garrett cole and i think a lot of these guys are finding themselves in that situation and more will continue to be in that situation because this is not just garrett cole i know we're pointing him out because he's one of what appears to be the biggest Um, uh, offenders of this, and it's more public with him. Same thing with Trevor Bauer, right? He's spoken publicly about this in the past. So they're kind of the, the faces of this situation. If it was just those two, this wouldn't be a topic for us. We wouldn't be talking about the substances. This is all across baseball. And so whether it be, I know there's some videos out there of Brandon Woodruff going straight to his glove. There's a bunch of other dudes out there as well this is going to become more and more of a story for guys nationally that they're going to have to answer to.
1: He would have been better just saying no comment. I'm Absolutely. not going to talk about it. Just no comment. And, well, what do you think? No comment. Well, well, hold on. Now you have to – no, no comment. Is there any question about my start? Is there any question about uh, my upcoming start, the Yankees in general, whatever? I, I, that would have been better than what he has just done because now it has just exploded and put more attention yep. on him. Um the other thing would have been fine to say, you know, I understand what baseball is trying to do and crack down on this. And we all are taking note and adjustments will be made. That that would have worked too. You know, and and then I say, hey, and they keep following. I've, I've already talked about it. That uh, Moving forward, I understand what baseball is trying to do. I'm in agreement with baseball. Um, I'll direct all questions to them. Yeah. You know, I mean, ask them how they're going to clean it up. I don't know how they're going to do it. But in terms of my starts going forward, you know, I'm going to be doing things as, as clean as possible, whatever. I. I yeah, I just think he he added fuel to the fire with how he addressed it. Lance Lynn of the White Sox, longtime member of the Cardinals, World Champion in eleven, uh, was asked about this situation going forward for him and for baseball in general.
3: It comes to like a starting pitcher, if you're going to miss a, miss a start or two and hurt your team, that for me, I mean, even missing one start, it deters anything for me because I don't I wouldn't be out there for my teammates. So. I think that uh, you know those are the things that have to you know have to be done to make sure we stop the the glues and the whatever else uh, people people are calling them or, or whatever they're called these days from from being applied uh, to the baseball. Um, but there's also like there's guys that uh, that do it the right way, and um, you know people are going to have to just deal with being checked, just like uh, when we started getting more random uh, drug tests and stuff like that that have always done it the right way, but you got to deal with 12 to 18 uh, drug tests a year because people have done it the wrong way in the past. So it kind of comes with the territory, and uh, you just got to be open-minded and make sure that uh, you do things the right way for yourself, and uh, everything will take care of itself.
1: I think Lance Lynn hit the the first point on the head, which is this. We have guys – so Garrett Cole is making, what, average $36 million a year. And it was kind of like when guys were stepping out of the box, BK, and they would go back to their – and they were trying to enforce guys staying in the box to speed up the game. And they would go back to their locker room in the stall, and there would be a letter from the commissioner. You've been warned. You know, umpire would make a note, send it to the office. The office would come back with a letter. Now, if you happen to do it the second time, it was like a second warning or a $100 fine or $500 or whatever. That means nothing. So to to fine a guy doesn't mean anything. Lance hit it on the head, which is – if you hit them where it really hurts, which is in competition, that's when a difference will be made. So if you're going to say, and with a pitcher, now remember, if you can say, well, it's a five game suspension or six game suspension. That's why I've always thought in the past it's been interesting when pitchers get suspended as opposed to position players. Well, they pitch every fifth day, position players every day. So you got to do it like a 15 day, you know, you're going to miss at least two starts. Or you say it's a twenty day. I don't care what it is, but that would if you came down and dropped the hammer on these guys. And I know the players' association. It's and we're talking about this. And I'm going down another road. I know they were, they were they'll they'll fight it because when you start missing checks is when big checks is when it really starts to hit. And when you start to cost your team games is when it hits the primary point there. So if you're going to do this and suspend these guys, that's how you do it because they if they miss time and miss games. That, that is the deterrent for these guys not to cheat.
2: My understanding is that it's supposed to be 10 days is what they're kind of looking at. And I also – I heard Buster only talking about this the other day. He seems to believe it's going to be paid. Um, so it will not be missing checks. But the important part there is what you Your said. Team. It's the 10 days. Right. And I also think that makes it more likely that these teams internally will start policing this without having to need the yes. umpires, right? Hey, uh, let's go with. I'm not saying Giovanni Gallegos is doing this stuff, but Giovanni Gallegos is too valuable to the St. Louis Cardinals to lose him for ten days. No question. Uh, that is like if it's an injury, that's one thing. Losing him to ten for ten days because well, you, he wanted to up his
1: RPMs by 200 mile or 200 RPMs. Uh, nah, you can't have that. So you just brought up a great point. Do you suspend a reliever the same that you would do a starting pitcher? Sounds like that's what they're gonna do. So if you lost Giovanni Gallegos for ten days for the Cardinals and we're just throwing him out there in it say Alex Ray he's the best guy. guy, yeah. Any of those big three guys and you got ten games, any one of those guys could appear in half of them. And if it's your starter, it's two starts. Now that's big too. do Don't get me wrong, but man, talking about losing those guys specifically with this team. That would, to me, would be a deterrent. It has to be. It has to be. And it's something that I think for baseball,
2: I I applaud them for this. Did they handle it correctly over the last five, seven, ten years? No, of course not. And they were late to the party and they should have done something about this sooner. I, I agree with all of those statements that we heard from Ryan Fagan earlier and that are being made all around the baseball community right now. I also think it's commendable. I didn't think they were going to do this this year. I thought it was going to take another season of gathering information. They I'm don't want you. to. They don't want to mess up the CBA. CBA that's like, what I thought. The number one thing. I totally would understand that, honestly. And so, for the fact for them to do this now, when we know there's a problem, and to go ahead and crack down on it, I appreciate that, and I think it's smart. And I'm I'm very interested to see how they police it. I, that's that's the next thing here. That's going to be hard for them, but getting to this point is it's a great starting point for
1: them. Marty Jenkins has uh, been our producer engineer. Did a great job this week uh, filling in for Tanner. So thank you, Marty. Uh, you're coming up with. Alex Ferrario.
2: We are looking forward to the show today. Coming up on the show, we have a good one for you. 12-15 is Robert Murray, fan-sided MLB analyst. He's going to have some trade deadline talk for us. And coming up at 1 o'clock, Gary Gaetti, former Cardinals infielder.
1: I want to hear from Robert Murray his thoughts. Can I, can I submit a question on Please the text do. line? I <laughs> want to hear his thoughts. He's really good on the business side of things. Where are we at with the CBA? I, I, you know, are, are we going to get it done? That's all I want to hear. If he says yes, I'm I'm going to sleep well tonight. I got to have baseball next year. I'll put that in for you. Thank Submitted
2: you. from the listener.
1: I appreciate it, BK. Always a pleasure working with you. You do such a great job, and uh, thanks for all the work this week. Have a great weekend, everybody. And BK and Alex coming up next on 101 ESPN.
0: Peloton, let's go this holiday
2: with the right music.